What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Today marks the 50th anniversary of John Waters' campy cult classic Pink Flamingos, which premiered at the University of Baltimore on March 17, 1972. I spoke to the iconic Baltimore filmmaker at the grand reopening of the Parkway Theater as part of the Maryland Film Festival in 2017. And we're here with the one and only John Waters. This is awesome that you're here. Of course I would be here. Are you kidding? I went to this theater when it was first open. Yeah. I used to see art movies here. Now I'm going to see them again. That's perfect. <laughs> Did I hear you? I think I overheard you talking with David Simon saying you saw Psycho down the street. I saw or... Psycho up the street, but I saw here lots of Ingmar Bergman movies, and, the, and people saw them because they could look at naked bodies. <laughs> which one? Which one? Did you... Early one, Smile on a Summer Night, and uh, Tinsel, and, you know, Brink of Life, those kind of movies. You're They're a real fan. Oh, yeah, I love Bergman. He had How... vomit in his movie before anybody. How much did Bergman inspire your work? Oh, a huge amount. I'm the only person ever to saw Bergman on LSD. <laughs> yeah, I doubt at it. At this theater. <laughs> well, now, was it at this theater? It could have been, yeah. But So you grew up in Baltimore. How often did you come here as a kid? Like, And how far away did you grow up? Well, I didn't come until I was a teenager because it was downtown, you know, yeah. go downtown and see art movies where they had espresso coffee. Yeah. I came here, but the thing was, the movie played here for half a year. Yeah. It would say 43rd week. You know, movies played really a long time then if they were a hit. Different so time. you would hurry, you would hope it wouldn't be a hit so you'd get a new one. <laughs> Absolutely. And then uh, did, did any of your movies play here? Because this closed in like 78, right? No, they didn't play here. They played at the Charles. They did, uh, even Multiple Maniacs did. So, uh, and they played at the North Way, which is on on Harvard Road. Yeah, so they played in certain places, yeah. But by this time, when it was the Arts Center at the end, I can't remember. When did they close? I think it was like 78. Think something like that. Yeah, they wouldn't have played Female Trouble, I don't think. No, no. But they would have now. See, today, yeah. if if some kid made a film with a cell phone yeah. camera came, they could show it here, and they would, yeah. and that's the point. Speaking yeah. of some kid making a film, some yeah. let's say there's another, the next John Waters out there. What, I mean, what advice do you have for them? What, you know, what's the biggest mistake they usually make? And especially being here in the East Coast, how do they get taken seriously? It doesn't matter where you live anymore with the internet. You can, don't ever leave where you grow up. Everywhere's cool now. There's cool people everywhere. Everybody sees every movie everywhere on the internet. You don't have to leave. Just find somebody to like your work, and don't worry if it's technically screwed up in the beginning. It's, it's about the content. It's about the wit, the humor, and surprise people. I have a whole book out now called Make Trouble, which actually asks you to horrify me. That's what youth yeah. should be doing. <laughs> so grow where you're planted and weave your, your upbringing into well, it? You can put it person. that way, yeah. Like, uh, um, you don't have to leave home anymore. Everywhere's cool, and... Um, 
have your, if nobody will show your movie, well, bring it here. They probably will. Yeah. yeah. Talk about the festival. I mean, how, how many years have you been coming here and have you seen it grown and impact Baltimore? I've been coming to the, this festival was called Many Things. Before it was the Maryland <laughs> Film Festival, it was the Baltimore Film Festival. It was a lot of, I've yeah. been involved with all of them yeah, since yeah, the yeah. beginning. Yeah. Uh, but this one's certainly grown to be the biggest and the best. Yeah. What is the biggest compliment you've ever received on Pink Flamingos? biggest compliment that I was never found innocent of obscenity charges ever. <laughs> How about hairspray? Well, we won the Tony Award. That's not bad. You know, yeah. yeah I mean, oh, but other than that. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, um, I guess uh, in closing, you know, why look into the camera and tell our listeners at TOP why they should come out to this festival. Because Baltimore is so much cooler than D.C. <laughs> They'll debate it, but you might have a point. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Uh, see you. On the same red carpet, I also spoke with local filmmaker David Simon, who grew up in D.C. before creating iconic Baltimore TV dramas from Homicide Life on the Street to The Wire. We actually spoke uh, down at the uh, at the spotlight screening, at the premiere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was afterwards. Um, let's uh, do a postmortem on that. So it, that went on to win Best Picture. It did pretty well for itself. But, but then here we are a year later, and now everyone's talking fake news, and then journalism com- is coming back and holding people accountable now. So where do you sort of stand post-spot? Like, as an old Baltimore Sun guy yourself. I mean, certainly if you were uh, a journalist and you were having an existential crisis um, over the revenue stream and, and over all the losses that journalism had suffered, um, this last election cycle has proved your, the need for you. Now, whether or not that translates into a revenue stream is still a long, hard fight because the problems are still the problems in terms of uh, the product and, and, and where the money comes from now with the Internet. But... Uh, it's pretty apparent that the amateur hour won't work. That that, that the uh, unaccredited, I'll say what I want, and you figure out whether it's true or not. Version of uh, of the of the online uh, uh, news element is um, is flawed, and that you actually need news organizations. You need people accredited. You need people accountable. Uh, you need you need the work to be sourced. And uh, all the people who said we were gonna, it was gonna be the amateur hour, and everyone was gonna be a citizen journalist, they kind of look like jerks right now, uh, and or they look like jerks or Russian bots, one of the two. So. <laughs> Awesome. Well, let's dive into the reason we're actually here. The fact that this theater's back here. I think I heard you talking with John Waters. He's, did I hear him say that he was he saw Psycho down the street? Or do yeah. you ever remember coming up here? I know I many from DC. No, you got to remember not to not to that extent because to me, I grew up in, in DC. The Silver Theater, which is now AFI, um, was my local theater. Uh, so no, I, if you wanted to see stuff on a big screen when I was a kid, you went to the Uptown in DC. This I got here in '83, so you want to talk to somebody about what what was around <laughs> here filming? You know, talk to talk to Barry, talk to, to John. I, uh, you know, my but just in general, as I mean, it's still as a generally local guy growing up around here. I mean, and obviously your your movie, your shows are set up here, Wire and Homicide and stuff. Um, just what does it mean to have an old historic theater back open in Baltimore? Oh, and this as a venue, this is this is excellent because. First of all, this area is sort of the home base of the film festival and has been for years now. Uh, this is an incredibly valuable property for, uh, as a venue just for independent filmmakers and, and for um, young filmmakers to get their work shown. I mean, it's hard to get into theaters, and art houses are essential for that. 
Baltimore just acquired a top flight art house here. Not to mention it's a venue for educational stuff, for training crew, uh, for getting people engaged in an industry that, let's face it, it's one of the few growth industries uh, left in this country. And um, jobs matter and this is a clean industry. So I'm elated that uh, uh, Jed and the Producers Club and the Film Festival, they all brought it through. Um, it's really been... Uh, it's been a long haul for them, and I'm very proud. Of you mentioned this. you mentioned local filmmakers, and it's hard for them to get their work seen. Um, what what advice do you have for them? If if there's any of our listeners that are maybe aspiring filmmakers or local film students or whatever, you know, what's the most common mistake you see them make, and how can they actually break through being an East Coast filmmaker? You know, I'm a terrible person to ask for that <laughs> because my path to being a, a television writer and and producer was really improbable. It came off of a off a prose work that I did that was that Barry Levinson bought. And uh, and and I and then they filmed it in my town and, and I learned how to do it through a back door really. I, you know, I didn't go to film school. I didn't know which end of the camera was which to begin with. So I'm really a terrible person. Like if you know when people come to me and say how do I get into the movie business, I'm like, if I ever figure it out I'll let you know. But um, I'm not being flippant. I but uh, I would say one of the things is just to do it. Um, uh, there is so much now in terms of video. That there's less that's required now technically and in terms of equipment to go out and to tell a film narrative. Certainly to, to, to create your first short or something and to get on the you know to try to get onto the uh, festival circuit. Um, it used to be you had to you needed a darkroom, you needed to cut film, you needed to. Um, Videotape and uh, and uh, um, the digital uh, abilities that, that come with that have really made it possible for people to, to dive in. And you know, you can do the stuff you can do on a laptop now is extraordinary. Final question: um, Got to ask you about The Wire. How did, what arguably my favorite show of all time? How did you guys? How are you able to create so many? I mean, there's probably two dozen characters that all get equal screen time that they're just lodged in our brains like decades later. I mean, what what's the secret to, to giving them the right amount of time but also be able to build those arcs? I mean, there's so many great characters. I don't know. I don't know. Um, it, it, I don't know why it has resonance. It, honestly, it's not even the most... Um, I'm proud of it. it. It turned out very well, I think. But it wasn't even the most... Um, uh, or how should I say it? In terms of uh, execution, there are other things I've done where I thought it were, turned out much more. Precise. Which were which were some of those things? Um, I thought uh, Generation Kill uh, was uh, in term, terms out in terms of execution. Um, but I guess the wire went on for 60 hours, and people became accustomed to the world and the characters, and and it and it, and it found some zeitgeist. But uh, um, I don't know. You know, it's. We did the best we could. We always do the best we can. Well, keep doing the best you can. Thanks. Appreciate it. Good seeing you guys. You too. I next spoke with Ron Daniels, president of Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore. I'm Ron Daniels, and I'm president of Johns Hopkins University and a proud member of the Maryland Film Festival Board. How many years have you been coming to the Maryland Film Festival? So, as long as I've been in Baltimore, which is eight years. So. Oh, wow. How have you seen it, just in that short amount of time, seen it grow? So, you know, it's, um, it's been amazing to watch the growth of the film festival um, in terms of the amount of programming that's gone on, the audience participation, the quality of the films that's coming in, what happens in between the annual festival. So in so many different dimensions, 
But of course, it is this Nearchus Parkway Theater opening that really remarks, I think, a quantum leap forward. Let's go into that a little more. I mean, so this thing was a famous historic theater, but it shut down, I think, in the late 70s. And now after decades, it's opening again. How exciting is that? To the city itself and someone that's, that you know lives here, you know what I mean? It's going to be amazing. You've said it. It is amazing. It is a single moment in the life of the city. That is that you've got a great cultural institution that's being reborn, and it's um, it's in this magnificent space. The architecture is wonderful. The way in which Sigursnead has done this work, I think, is uh, is um, very significant and. Um, and then uh, to imagine all the programming outside of the festival that is going to take place here and having a strong, firm anchor for the role of film in Baltimore be open 365 days a year, right in the center of the city. This actually constitutes the geographic center of the city. I couldn't think of a better, more powerful signal for the momentum, the energy in the city today. Awesome. Is, it, do you remember, is there any particular film or two over the years that really, that stands out in your mind that you saw at the festival? Um, they all run together? They all run together. <laughs> yeah, I, I am an inveterate film goer, so yeah. my wife and I, um, whenever we can, yeah. um, we're, in, you know, we're seeing films. So we love the art form. And again, we couldn't be prouder to be uh, associated with this uh, endeavor. So awesome. Thanks so much. Okay, appreciate it. I next spoke with Samuel Hoy, president of MICA, the Maryland Institute College of Art, located in Baltimore. I'm Samuel Hoy, president of Maryland Institute College of Art, MICA. That's awesome right there. (laughs) How exciting is it to have this new theater open, but it's an old theater, the the history here, and now to have it back after being gone for, what, decades, right? Yeah, actually decades. We're so excited about it for a variety of reasons. One, uh, it's tremendous for MICA education. Our students will be able to uh, use this theater for lectures, for thesis uh, screen showing, for internships, and our, our studios right across the street. But outside of the institution, this is also incredible uh, happening or rehappening for the city of Baltimore. Um, I love um, things that are coming back with very rich history, but with contemporary relevance and coolness. And this is exactly one of those things. It's a new beacon for the city, um, but it has a lot of history that comes with it. How did they make it? You mentioned the contemporary coolness to it. What, What sort of elements when you look around here that makes it sort of more modern? Uh, well, well, first of all, there are a lot of uh, innovative elements um, from the typography to the architecture. Uh, but what I love about it is to make it really cool. It, was, it wasn't like a total renovation. Uh, it's a renovation that very imaginatively uh, blends like its history with all the new elements. And I think that um, I think in today's world, um, it's so important for us to look to the past, to look look into the future. And this is one of those um, uh, revival that um, does that. What is just more broadly on a macro level? What is where? What is Baltimore's artistic place compared to other cities? You know, what's what do you think gives it a unique vibe? Well, what gives Baltimore a unique vibe is that it's actually a very pervasive um, artistic community. There's not one single location. Of course, the Station North, where this um, theater is located at, where Micah is adjacent to, is one of the most vibrant art center. But if you look at it, it's really. Um, it's everywhere, and I think that's because um, Baltimore is a very affordable city, um, and also it has um, a, a wide spectrum of arts practices. You know, from theater to visual arts to you know music to um, the spoken words, um, and um, and and because um, Baltimore, you know, nickname is Baltimore, uh, everyone kind of works together. So there is this incredible synergy among the various disciplines as well. I think that makes a, a very very vibrant, creative environment. So awesome! Thanks so much for joining. Uh, thank us. you so much. It. 
I also spoke with then Maryland Film Festival programmer Eric Hatch. We're here in an awesome new, just reopened, refurbished theater for you yes. that you guys explain the historical significance of this theater and how awesome it is to have this as the venue for this year. Yeah, I mean, the Parkway Theater was one of the first big and beautiful movie theaters in Baltimore. It was first built in 1915. It was also one of the first theaters to convert to art house cinema. In the 50s, it became known as the Five West. Uh, it's been closed for almost 40 years now, and, uh, you know, it's a, it's a big part of the Station North revival that's happening in Baltimore where culture is really booming, so we couldn't be more thrilled. Awesome. How'd you guys get uh, Barry Levinson and John Waters, David Simon, all these heavy hitters to, to come out for this? Did, do, did they come here growing up, or do, do you know? Uh, yes, I mean, they... they um, David Simon, I believe, grew up in the D.C. area. Um, Levinson and Waters have both said that they did come to this theater. I mean, it was a big part of Baltimore cultural life. And, um, you know, Baltimore at its peak had about 100 movie theaters, but the Parkway being at the corner of Charles and North was always a, you know, highlight. And uh, any advice for local filmmakers on what you look to program? How, how can they catch your eye? For a future year. Uh, yeah. Um, hone your craft and, and find your voice. I mean, uh, don't, don't imitate. Find uh, your, your own film language. Awesome. Thank you, sir. Absolutely. Appreciate it. And finally, I spoke with Jed Dietz, who founded the Maryland Film Festival in 1999 before retiring in 2018. My name is Jed Dietz, D-I-E-T-Z, um, and I'm the founding director of the Maryland Film Festival. We're in an awesome new space that I heard just came in today. Like, I think it just opened up today. This is the this is the first gathering uh, of people. This is the, these are all people who have supported this project from the beginning. And this is, the, our, you know, they're going to get a first glimpse of the building, the first look. Give our, uh, just give our listeners a sense of the history of this, because I know it was open years in historic theater and closed around 78, and it, it just now reopened since then. So yeah. give them a, an idea of the history. Well, so it was built in 1915, which, it, you know, in movie history is a huge year, because that was... So, nation. Yeah, exactly right. And so it was silent film for the first part of its life. It served the community till 1978. I mean, it had an extraordinary life. And now we're bringing it into the 21st century, honoring all those years, though, as you can see by walking around the theater. We start with the opening night of the Maryland Film Festival, and then we open with uh, regular programming. So we'll have year-round programming now of all these films that don't now come to Baltimore. The whole art form, you know, if you even glimpse at what we've seen at Sundance in Toronto and South by Southwest, it's extraordinary. And people will find their big favorites but you know you come into a festival and you know Barry Jenkins first film was here in 2008 Medicine for Melancholy a beautiful film but you would never have known at that point his second film would go on to win the Oscar Moonlight no one so, was like so oh that's, that's Barry Jenkins then yeah yeah yeah, yeah exactly and, and Catherine Bigelow was here with Hurt Locker several years back and then she went on to win the top five Oscars and be the first woman to win best director so you just never know when those things are popping out all I can tell you is there is amazing talent coming in with amazing films and a very wide choice. And as we start posting all of that on our website in the next day or so, you know, you'll you'll find things that you'll want to try. For any aspiring filmmakers, especially local filmmakers that are listening to this, for future film festival years, what advice do you have for them? What kind of stuff stands out to you? Because I'm sure you get a million submissions. We do. Um, but, but I think, you know, there's no formula for it. And I think that's the most important thing to be thinking about as a young filmmaker is make something that really speaks to you and you want to spend a year or two or more of your life making. And that's what will drive it. And if you're trying to guess success, you're going to fail. 
Awesome. So just make something personal that come and you know don't 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 aim for that. Just just follow where. Well, it can be historic. It can be any kind of story, but some story that you really want to tell, I think, is the has got to be the starting point. Awesome. And in closing, how long have you been with the festival? Uh, we started the festival in uh, 1999. How have you seen it grown in that? Place? Oh, it's grown tremendously. I mean, obviously, this is a huge step for us. Um, and it's the amazing thing is the audience and the film community. The film community loves coming here from all over the world. And this regional audience, from mostly people from around the Baltimore area, are fascinating film uh, goers. And the question and answers are always great. Filmmakers love coming here. Awesome. Thank you so much. Oh, you're very Appreciate welcome. It. Thanks for Good being luck here. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time. I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.